Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's better than this? Guys, being dudes here on the Draft Dudes podcast. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this Wednesday episode of the show. And folks, it remains that wonderful time of year where there are so many great sports on TV every day. You've got the NHL and NBA in full swing. College football is at that point in the season where it's on like every day. The NFL season is happening. You have UFC and betonline.ag remains the number one spot for all of your sports betting action this season. Head to their new updated website and sign up today and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use our promo code BLEAV50. That is B-L-E-A-V-5-0. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and BetOnline is where the game starts. Kyle, what's up, man? Happy Wednesday to you. Happy Wednesday here on the hump day of the show and we are thrilled because we have a chance to share the mic. We are bringing back the director of the Shrine Bowl, Eric Galco, to talk a little ball. We've had Eric on a couple of times. Eric's a good friend to both of us. And Eric, uh, how are you doing uh, this week? We're obviously into November, so we are creeping closer and closer to the uh, the Shrine weekend and that buildup, which is obviously very exciting. Uh, how things going on your end? Things are great. We've uh, invited players a lot. Really, the best part of my job now is talking to players. And uh, and I've talked to players in the preseason, but talking to players who have accepted, who have questions, who want to learn more. That's always the part of the process that's kind of hard from the outside. And, and talking to players more and more, it's incredible to kind of hear just how smart kids are compared to where I was at 21 years old every time I do this. But um, but also just kind of hear what these kids' stories are and kind of what, what matters to them. And I think it's been a, a great experience. Something I did at the XFL and certainly consulting before, but now on the it's been a real privilege to talk to a lot of young athletes. Eric, let's piggyback off of something you said right there. You've really enjoyed talking to these players. Is is there a conversation that stands out in your mind that you could share with us that uh, you know would be interesting for us to know about? Yeah, you know, I think some players, it's such an achievement for them to have this. And my, I, what I tell players is, is, hey, you've earned this, right? It's an all-star game process. I know there are a few players, and I won't say their names, but one player, you know, was tearing up a bit on the call saying how honored he was and excited. And I said, hey, man, this, this is something you've earned. And now I work for you and having the Shrine Bowl support your success. Um, it's been awesome to kind of have that feeling that, hey, well, this is going to play a huge role in these athletes' career. Sometimes for better or worse, sometimes the all-star games might be too overvalued for NFL scouts. Not everyone. Every team, but some teams do it, but it's such an important week. And it's a real honor for me to kind of have the chance to help these players be successful. The one thing I will say, Joe, and you'll appreciate this, I think, as, as you talk to players too, these offensive linemen are so smart. I would say about across every position, these offensive linemen are asking the smart questions. They want to know what's going on. They want to know what matters, what doesn't, what's the week going to look like? How's my player health and safety going to be taken care of too? So it's been really interesting to me to see across position groups, every player, every position is not, you know, also caring, but these offensive of linemen are smarter and smarter. I think it's a sign of where, why NFL team put so much presence on, on that position. What's, what's interesting about that is when you talk about an all-star event environment, it's often said, right. That, you know, a lot of the, the one-on-one drills are skewed towards success for the defensive linemen and at right. times at the expense of offensive linemen. So that's, that's kind of an interesting 
layer to hear you talk about, you know, that they want to talk about the impact of this event and what it's going to bring to the table for them, because they so often, you know, the one-on-one drills where there's yards and yards and yards of space on either side. And it's like, well, that's not really a functional rep. So, you know, do you, do you guys get into that? Yeah, a, a little, I mean, definitely offensive linemen care about what the practice is going to be like. And it's been great to kind of hear too. The other fun question I'll say, Joe, that I've gotten is a, can my parents come and B, <laughs> where do you recommend they stay in Las Vegas? And I think the Vegas piece, something the players don't want to ask up front. They don't want to sound too eager, but it's certainly a cool appeal for their families to say, Hey, I'm going to go to Vegas for a couple of days and enjoy it. So let me ask you a question that is just curiosity on my behalf and you may not be able to answer it, but I'm going to put it out there. Love what it. is the process for picking the coaching staff this year for the, uh, yeah. the shrine bowl? Um, you know, I know in the past it's, it's been a lot of different assistants brought in, but as I get excited about shrine this year and, and getting to Vegas, what can we expect from the uh, process of getting the coaches in place? It's honestly one of my favorite parts um, of the Shrine Bowl. It started happening about three years ago, but our staff is entirely made up of current NFL coaches. And we have the privilege of, I know, you know, the, the Senior Bowl, for example, had, you know, the NFL PA Bowl has a lot of former NFL coaches and coaching staff, I think has its value. And the Senior Bowl has two NFL coaching staffs coaching them, which has value. Maybe I'm biased. I think our process is the best in that, we're going to have 10 NFL teams, at least probably close to 11 or 12 represented on our two coaching staffs, meaning our players will get a chance to impress coaches from 10 different teams. And we work with the NFL league office, a little bit of um, who they want to kind of put into position to kind of show what they can do from to show NFL GMs that, Hey, I'm a quarterback coach right now, but I can handle being an OC or an OC being a head coach. I think it's also great for us to kind of tap into players that played in the Shrine Bowl before and want to kind of give back a little bit. And I would say, I mean, we had Marcus Brady, who's the current Colts offensive coordinator, coaching in the game just a few years ago as an offensive coordinator. And he'll even tell you he he learned a lot from that experience and work with guys that he future, you know, in the future had or played against. And I think it's a great opportunity for coaches. I've talked to multiple, multiple GMs, Joe, who said, hey, we evaluated coaches at the Shrine Bowl and we've hired them since. And I think it's an awesome opportunity for coaches to get that experience, but certainly certainly for our players to kind of get a taste for a lot of different NFL teams. Cause they won't, most of them will be drafted, not on just two teams, but on 10, 15, 32 NFL teams uh, across our roster. Eric, you mentioned a little bit of feedback provided uh, for coaches and that opportunity for that week at the shrine. Curious from a, a player personnel standpoint as well, you know, are there, this is obviously a relationship industry in just about every way. And you throughout the course of of the time that you've been in this industry, know a lot of people with a lot of teams. And I'm, I'm curious what kind of feedback do they nudge you and say, Hey, take a look at this guy or, Hey, you know, we'd, we'd love to see this guy here, obviously with this new opportunity running in, in tandem with the league. Um, you know, there's more, that relationship is, is probably more prevalent than it's, yeah. it's been in the past. So uh, what, what is the dynamic from your selection process and potential feedback, whether it's just verbal recommendations or, or guys that, you know, they nudge you and say, Hey, make sure you get this guy in here. Well, first off, everybody has an opinion who should be at the Shrine Bowl, right? <laughs> Whether it's agents, coaches, Mike Renner of PFF sent me text message to invite Max Mitchell, Louisiana. Not a lot from you guys yet, which I'll take some recommendations from you guys. But first off, everyone wants their bite of the apple at the Shrine Bowl roster. I would say that the NFL League office has been 
they, they can't recommend players right necessarily that's part of like they got to remain neutral there i think what they've done a great job of though is allow and help especially the hbc universities that we work with and have a partnership with the swac and MIAC and and you guys at the draft network help us kind of promote those players every week um but it's also an opportunity for for them to kind of make sure that those schools especially smaller schools have access to me we set up conference calls able to talk to players more specifically and coach more specifically there as well too so league office has to remain neutral but they do a great job likely for all our side games but certainly with our partnership with the league office um, helping us talk to the right players and right coaches to make sure that we're, we're we have all the information we need to make a decision they stay out of it but certainly i'd love more input they can have and help in the process so no players that you know i haven't had goodell or troy vincent tell me invite this guy that's not going to happen <laughs> but i think uh, i think they'll hopefully be happy with the guys we have at the game Eric, let's uh, talk about some players that I yeah. certainly hope to see in Vegas, and and that's quarterback Malik Willis out of Liberty. And I think he's it's a timely opportunity to discuss him, given what we watched on Saturday against Ole Miss and a lot of hype surrounding that game. I know that there was a ton of NFL scouts in attendance. I think anyone that was on Twitter on Saturday became quickly aware that this was a, a big showcase game, and I don't think anyone's going to sit here and say that. Willis played well, but I'm sure there's a lot of context that we need to be mindful of. How are you processing what we saw on Saturday? Yeah, first off, what the Broncos had five people there. Um, so the Broncos certainly interested in at least one, if not both of these quarterbacks and probably team looking for a quarterback in next year's draft. I, I thought Malik Willis had his ups and downs. He's had a couple ups and downs over the course of the season, right? The, the, the game before that was UMass. He had some of the best throws in the season, best progressions in the year. Did two games prior to that. Probably had his two games. He won back and struggled a little bit. Um, I, I've watched, like I imagine most, most of these top senior quarterbacks, I've watched every snap they've played this year. And I think the Ole Miss game showed a bit of the highs and lows and where Malik has to get better. I think, you know, knowing Malik, I know he knows exactly where he has to improve on. It's the decision-making in the red zone. It's the, you know, pre-snap to post-snap changes in the defense and how that can be adjusted. That Ole Miss did a great job in that, in this game is, is changing what they showed pre and post-snap. And not that Malik can't handle that, but hey, college, you're a young kid. You're still learning how to play the quarterback position. It's hard to do that kind of stuff. So I think Malik will agree that it's not worth defending and saying he played great, like you mentioned, Joe, too. But I think that game, especially isolating plays that are successful and not successful, it's not dissimilar to Josh Allen coming out of Wyoming when he played that game against Iowa and maybe 70% of his throws weren't great, but you saw something on those 30% of plays that said, hey, you know what? If he can turn this into a reverse that 70-30, this could be a really good NFL quarterback. And I think that's Malik kind of showed in the Ole Miss game and a couple games throughout his career when he's played against upper competition to say he's, he's not far away. He's made these mistakes. And the biggest thing I always tell our staff, especially a quarterback, is are these mistakes fixable? If they're not fixable, that's when you have cause for concern. I think watching those throws, it's pretty clear where Malik made a mistake and it's not a decision-making problem. It's a mistake problem that he can fix and clean up. So I know I'm bullish on Malik. You know, he's, he's a guy I like a lot, so I'm not trying to over-defend him here. But the game was not a, oh, no, Malik's not the quarterback one anymore for the senior class. It was a game that I think you have to kind of take in context and, and appreciate it was a top competition. And he played, I think overall, I think he played okay or, or above average, all things considered. I think that was the the general observation that we had had as well. Uh, yeah. We talked briefly in the pre-show about a video that Joe and I had done uh, just <clears throat> earlier this week about those dynamics of that game and understanding the the talent discrepancy. And you see a smaller school go into an sec environment and play. And well, that moment wasn't necessarily too big for Malik himself, obviously spending time at Auburn, but a lot of his teammates, like it's really hard. And you said the keyword there, which is context. 
right? And, and understanding that, you know, trying to evaluate from a results oriented approach in that environment is probably not the most conducive. So uh, we kind of walked away and say, Hey, whatever you thought of Malik Willis before this week, you should probably still feel that way based on what right. he showed against Ole Miss. Yeah. I, I got some heat. I, I know people were in my responses and DMs. I said that, you know, we'll kind of look back and laugh at the ebbs and flows of Malik Willis. And at this point, I think it's, it's really hard to change on a lot of these quarterbacks, especially ones that played last year. I think you mentioned Kyle, what you thought of Malik coming into the game is what you think you are. And adding games should provide incremental changes in the scouting report. It shouldn't be, he's a top quarterback. He's still a developmental guy. He, he's the same guy he has been. Again, I've had a chance to talk to people around Malik in the off season. I kind of know what person he is. I know how he'll impress the draft process. So I just funny to me that he might go up and down and then he'll rise in the draft process. I think he's kind of already that guy right now. And, and him and Matt Corral, who we played against other good quarterback and a couple of quarterbacks will shouldn't ebb and flow too much for what you think right now. These guys. Eric, so, I know that Eric, recent- yeah. Let me, let me, let me go here. Mm-hmm. I want to take advantage. Eric said, Hey, I, we haven't gotten too many nudges from the draft network about guys that need to show up at the shrine. So I'm going to take the opportunity now that I have you here and force you to talk about a guy that I've been a really big fan of for a while. I wish his offense was a bigger fan of him. I'm talking about Jeremy Ruckert, the tight end at Ohio state who yeah. just throw, throw this guy the ball, please. <laughs> they just refused to involve the tight ends with any level of consistency. But I saw, um, <coughs> Coastal Carolina had put out a release that Isaiah likely was among three uh, chants that had formally gotten an invitation to the game this past week. And uh, the tight end group in particular is, is really exciting. So would love to hear your thoughts on Rucker, kind of that evaluation process as a guy who you think has more to give in the passing game when that's such a prominent part of what tight ends do in the NFL, despite the fact that he's more of a complimentary player uh, in the passing game in Ohio state and, and anything that you've seen from Jeremy that you like, or that pops to you on tape. Well, well, first off, as far as the tight end class goes, and I've talked to to Jim Nagy about this, I will say that whatever six we get, whatever six he get, we can battle it out. It is a loaded tight end class. And I will take six of any of the top 12 guys we have, including likely in record. It's, it's an embarrassment of riches at the position. I think, uh, I think any team that even slightly to tight end should take one early and not hesitate because guys like Isaiah likely in most draft classes, he might be, second or third tight end in the draft. And he's going to be competing with a lot of guys for top hundred picks. Um, I think as far as, as Rucker goes, there's been a couple tight ends this year, especially in a loaded class. It's hard to, to kind of lose that context because we know how talented Rucker is. We know he can be a two dimensional um, blocker and pass catcher. We know he can really add a lot of value there. Also Josh Wiley underclassmen at Cincinnati had some of those same issues. Nick Muse at South Carolina, another tight end who's not being used as much as his athleticism shows you what he can do. And I think it's important to kind of, that's why we have multiple years. And that's why we can isolate plays as much as possible because when Rucker is getting the opportunities as a route runner, as a guy in the seam, he's still showing that separation ability. He's still showing the ability to box out and make plays away from his frame if the ball's coming his way. And, you know, I think with a new quarterback and CJ Stroud, it's not setting up for success for Rucker based on what they want to do as a passing game and work downfield with their two outstanding receivers. But I have, I have no waiver on, on Jeremy Rucker. I think he still has a great chance to be the top tight end taken in this draft class. Um, despite the drop in production, he's that talented and complete tight end. And I think for all these tight ends in this class, there's a lot of guys that can do 
that can block and pass catch. Some are more pass catching focus, some more blocking focus. I think Rucker can legitimately do both at an NFL level and great chance to be tight end one. You mentioned likely though, he had what almost 300 yards receiving that game yeah. a couple weeks ago. I mean, that was <laughs> hilarious. And some of those were busted coverage, but regardless, it just shows that he is able to separate and win against linebackers and safeties the way you want a tight end to do. And he's got maybe high four, four, low four five speed as mm. a tight end at 240 pounds. I mean, he really is, I think a basketball player um, playing tight end right now. And I mean that in a good way is that he's so big and he can be physical, but he's also just a long strider and get down the field very, very quickly. And those big plays again, some of you could say, well, busted coverage, this and that he's running away from DBs consistently. And I think a tight end with that kind of athleticism, you know, he's not as tall. He can't make the kind of highlight plays like your boy, Mike Kosicki can make Kyle. But as far as a receiving only tight end, even if he's just that, he's got a long career ahead of him in the NFL. Eric, I, I know that you recently made a trip to Boston College, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And, and that that offense really fascinates me. I, I studied it over the summer, getting familiar with a lot of NFL talent that they have. Uh, several offensive linemen, Zay Flowers at receiver, Trey Berry coming in at tight end, obviously Phil Dracovich at quarterback. And so I just kind of want to open the opportunity for you to say what you want about this Boston College football team and what they offer in terms of NFL talent and guys that you might have in your radar for the Shrine. He's an underclassman, but Phil Trigovich is back, and he's a guy to kind of make sure you don't forget about. Um, again, I, I don't know if he'll want to enter this year's draft class. I, I can't speak of underclassmen too, too much, but I would say he's got plenty of talent to play in the NFL whenever he's ready to do so. I think it's amazing how Boston College has become this factory of offensive linemen. Um, And Chris Lindstrom most recently, now his brother Alec Lindstrom, is a center there. And uh, Zion Johnson, a fantastic player. Zay Flowers, underclassman receiver. He's going to go pretty early in the draft. I think you guys like him as well, Zay Flowers. But I keep telling people if Dwayne Eskridge and Tutu Atwell can be second-round picks, Zay Flowers should be a first overall pick at that point, (laughs) right? I mean, that's kind of how talented Zay can be. But to stay on – First off, I think Jeff Halfley and that staff have done an amazing job. And BC is going to be a team, especially if Clemson can't kind of figure it out. They'll be a team to reckon with for the next couple of years. He's done an amazing job there. But Zion Johnson's a fascinating prospect. Um, and talked to a, a good number of scouts at that game and talked to some a lot since because a lot of people had the same question you had, Joe, is Eric, you were just there. What's, what's the feeling like? <clears throat> Zion is going to be in the mix for the number two center in the 2022 draft class. He has not played center in college. He played tackle at uh, Davidson and then tackle last year. And now he's playing really well at guard, probably his most natural position, but being that it's a lackluster center class, but also more importantly, being that center is so valuable in today's NFL. And he's such a smart kid. Zion. I mean, no, no offense to any other offensive lineman. He has been the most well-received, highly spoken of offensive lineman in the country of all the schools I've talked to. I mean, he is just brilliant. A remarkable person off the field, does things for his teammates and for charity that they don't tell the school about, right? I mean, just an unbelievable kid. And I think when you have a smart offensive lineman who's played tackle and guard, he can probably figure out center in terms of alignment. But I think after Tyler Lindenbaum, who's going to be a fit for a lot of teams, but not for every team, I think you'll see Zion kind of fill in there and say, hey, can he play center? And I, like most NFL teams, have watched his spring practices from this past year and watched him play center for only two or three practices. But just getting those reps on snaps, I think he can really do it. And I would say Zion is, is an offensive lineman that I wouldn't be shocked if he goes pretty early in the draft in terms of maybe mid to early second round. Maybe he's not the best prospect as guard in this class. Maybe he's not the best center prospect in this class. But high character, high intangibles, high ability to play at multiple positions. And if he can play center, he'll go pretty early in the draft too. 
it's a more you can do league, right? So you, yeah. you you really think about the experience that he has at tackle, not that not as though you'd necessarily advocate for him to take snaps at the NFL level at tackle, but you know, I think about a, a guy like um, Michael Dieter a couple of years ago who came out and had 10 plus starts at tackle guard and center. And just yeah. that versatility is, is invaluable when you're trying to figure out if you want to find a blend of best five guys, or you want to have a utility offensive lineman or carry one last guy on the roster. So that's pretty or if exciting. There's a pandemic and you need to fill in roster spots out of nowhere. Right. That could be a big <laughs> right. thing too. So no, I will say their, their coaching staff told me and, and Rod Chudzinski as one of their, um, coach advisors and he said i mean no offense to play on our roster but zion johnson is our best left tackle our best right tackle our best left guard our best right guard our best center on our team and we just played him at the spot we need him to so i think you're right kyle he can fill a lot of spots in the nfl it's pretty exciting to hear that he's got some some upside at center to step in because we, we look at the rest of that group and even just where we kind of predictively have players slotted right now there's a big void between Linderbaum and, and the rest but if, if Zion's going to be in that conversation that fills that void pretty well I wanted to ask you before we let you go about uh, another interior offensive lineman who's uh, really gathered our eyes here uh, over the course of this season uh, Jamari Salyer from Georgia I'm curious yeah. what you what if he's popped at all to you. He's been somebody. Obviously, Georgia is so talented on the defensive side of the football, and uh, they, they've been missing some of their their better talent on offense with JT Daniels and George Pickens. But just watching that offense, Salyer's been a guy that's popped a little bit to us. So curious if you've seen anything from him that's grabbed your attention as well. Yeah, I mean, he's an NFL starter. I think a guard, and I think his lack of length maybe hurts him a little bit as a tackle for most schemes. But I think he's an NFL guard right away. And NFL starter and and we've got him graded as such and I think when you can start right away in the NFL like we think he can first round then never out of question right offensive line is so valuable and you know you guys just saw Wyatt Teller right recently this week just get paid yeah the teams would trade a first round pick for him in a heartbeat um and I think if, if you're anywhere close to NFL starter and a plug and play one at that you're a first round pick or second round pick at early at, at the very latest and I think that's kind of where Sawyer is at in this draft class he's a he's a tackle moving to guards a couple of guys like that that are tackles who could be really high-end guards and he's one of them for sure if I can sneak one more in here, um, yeah. man, Devin Lloyd. No, Devin, Lloyd. Right. Devin Lloyd, linebacker. Yeah, please. The next best thing, Let's if you will. Devin right? Lloyd. Uh, I know yeah. he's a, he's a been at Utah for a while, but I mean, is he? He's kind of leaving no doubt here when it comes to this linebacker one conversation. Am I off base on that? No, I think you're absolutely right. He's been so dynamic, and he's got the length to fill in multiple linebacker spots. He can fit in any scheme. If you want to play him in a three, four, he can make that work. If you want to play him at a, you know, a Sam and he can go and come, I mean, he can do everything you want as a linebacker, explosive, long, and he's living up to it. He's a guy that we had as linebacker one coming into the year and he's exceeded those expectations. Again, I think the question for Devin Lloyd is, is how early does he go? And we've seen, you know, whether the question is, do linebackers, should linebackers go early is a, is a whole draft value discussion. But if you're going to take one early, it's Devin Lloyd. And we've seen a lot of teams say, I don't care about that. We're taking the best player on the board. Devin Lloyd might be that. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if he ends up being a top 15, top 20 draft pick with his draft process. And and that's, that's right about where he should go in terms of how impact defensive players could be. It's a loaded edge class. And I think between a loaded edge class, you maybe can take one in the second round and take Devin Lloyd in the first. If you want to build your defense, that's a pretty, pretty damn good way to do it. Eric is speaking my language. So that it's a perfect time to shut it down before he says something we disagree with. Since we've come on, we've heard a lot of great things from Eric that 
uh, have fallen in line and have helped kind of back some of the things that Joe, you and I, we talk privately all the time. You know, we're in the midst of this scouting process and getting ready for kickoff on uh, our big push. And we're going to make sure we have all the write-ups for everybody that's going to be down in Shrine. So looking forward to finding out who's on that roster. And we'll have some good content coming down the chute uh, for when that, that becomes known. So Eric, really appreciate your time. Please remind everybody where they can find uh, information on the Shrine and about yourself. Yeah, Shrine Bowl will be announcing. We'll have players will be announcing their acceptance to the Shrine Bowl over the next couple of weeks and months. It'll be very exciting. We're letting players kind of own that process versus us announcing anything and excited to have a, a kick-ass roster at the Shrine Bowl and have everyone in Las Vegas and hopefully help those athletes know that their parents can come and enjoy Las Vegas if they're there. And hopefully you guys can enjoy Las Vegas if you're out there too. So pretty exciting time for, uh, for the Shrine Bowl right now. We're pumped. Right on. Well, with Kyle Krabs, Joe Marino, and Eric Galco, director of the Shrine Bowl. That's going to do it for a Wednesday episode of Draft Dudes. Thanks, as always, for checking out the show. Hope you guys enjoyed, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 